sometimes um, people who have been coming around meditation centers for a little while will ask, why do we, why do some people in the room bow? The tradition is often to bow three times. And that uh, practice is in consideration of the three jewels. It's a kind of acknowledgement of appreciation of the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the Buddha representing uh, either a historical figure, the Siddhartha Gautama, who became the Buddha, or a teacher, or the teacher archetype, or one's own awakened potential. And the Dharma, in this case, refers to the, the Buddhist teachings, or the meditation practices, and Sangha is community. In a certain way, tonight's talk deals with my own ongoing uh, inquiry about this whole tradition, this whole path of paying attention to and integrating the teachings of the Buddha into our own life, specifically in the context of a lot of chaos and confusion and violence in the world around us. And so in a sense, this uh, talk is, it's all, it, it feels a little bit like it's a talk within us, informally within a series of talks that arise out of my own attempt to make sense of something that feels really difficult to make sense of. And usually when I give these kinds of talks, uh, you can assume that I've been, uh, I've been stuck, I've been feeling stuck. And uh, one way of, of, that I've learned to work with that uh, phenomenon of being stuck is to look at the teachings that I've been studying and for many, many years, and to just look and see, like, is anything helpful? Does anything uh, map well against a particular problem that I'm trying to solve, or that we're trying to solve? So this is a, this is a talk, in a sense, that includes a lot of suggestions or ideas, possibilities, and I offer this talk as a reflection. I offer this talk as, a, as really as a conversation, in a sense. Like, these are some ideas that are coming up for me. And as if to say, well, what is coming up for you? Whether you're new to Buddhism or you've been doing it for, you've been practicing for a very long time. And specifically, uh, what I'm trying to do tonight is Take very uh, take traditional uh, teachings and, and sort of map them on top of uh, particular issues that are uh, relevant to most or all of us. 
So the, the talk is loosely, recall, loosely called Responding to These Times. Responding to These Times. And when I first wrote these notes, it was, um, I think, how to hold, how to hold these times. I thought, well, maybe, maybe not everyone knows what I mean by hold, but, but the, the, the underlying question I'm sitting with is, how do, how do, we, how do we be with? How do we be with? Uh, and, 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 and if you'd like, you can think about this question, how do we be with, with regard to anything that's difficult, anything that's perplexing, personally, within your family, a community you're a part of, the larger society. It's like, how do we, how does the Dharma, how does our meditation practice help us be in some sort of sensible, practical, helpful, wholesome relationship uh, with ourselves in the world that we live in? Ultimately, that's the question, that's, that's, that's the core question of the Buddhist tradition, in a sense. So not only is this an attempt to, um, for all of us who are interested in Buddhist teachings, map some Buddhist teachings onto uh, current issues, but also an ongoing attempt to adapt, uh, if and where necessary, those teachings to a modern context uh, to some extent, account for what the Buddha's wisdom may not have foreseen, and also, despite uh, significant wisdom, perhaps even uh, what the Buddha's original wisdom uh, didn't see, didn't account for, in a sense, given the time and place. So, <clears throat> typically, I find myself feeling the, the, the weight or brunt, uh, emotionally or intellectually, or however it comes through, of different issues that I'm talking about with friends, or hearing about in the news, or, or, or what have you. And in the three particular incidents, if you will, that uh, came together in a unique way for me, over the past couple of days as I prepared to come in here on Thursday were uh, one, an email that came to me from the meditation community that I first learned how to meditate in. Uh, and I got an email from the local uh, chapter of a huge international Buddhist community. Uh, I got a letter from the Boston chapter explaining that the uh, lineage holder, so the most senior teacher, uh, had uh, been accused of sexual relationships with several uh, students. And this, of course, is one of many such reports uh, regarding different teachers who hold a lot of responsibility and large amounts of people had uh, put their trust in. And the second incident is the uh, issue recently of separating families at the border, and then the ongoing task and chaos of figuring out how to, uh, in some 
possibly humanitarian way resolve that. And of course, um, I would say that resolution is a, um, given that there's already trauma, uh, trauma has already occurred that uh, it's not really a resolution at this point. It's something else we're trying to do. And then the um, also ongoing, uh, probably for a very, very long time, of course, but um, given more uh, airtime in the news, uh, the most recent as early as two days ago, um, white people uh, calling the police on people of color uh, for doing ordinary activities that any or all of us would would do all the time. After I finished this talk and I was uh, going through and editing it, uh, I was distracted and procrastinating, if you really want to know, and I was editing it and then checking my email and editing it and checking my email. And was, I'm not supposed to report that, right? As <laughs> but I was. I kind of like, I had put the notes together and I was finally got that task done. And it was really interesting because uh, I got an email from another meditation center. <laughs> um, a, more, a more inspiring one. It came from the Upaya Zen Center where I've sat a couple of retreats. Different tradition. Uh, we here are considered a Theravada or a Western Insight tradition influenced by the Theravada or Hinayana. And uh, Zen would be a Mahayana tradition, so the practice, practice, basic court teachings that are shared, and you know a little bit, uh, in some cases, quite a quite a significant different in, difference in sort of aesthetic and approach and focus. And it was a newsletter, an email newsletter, and there was a passage at the beginning written by Roshi Joan Halifax, who's the head teacher there at that meditation center, and. It, it, it mirrored, in a sense, my own reflection and, and even actually the talk that I had just written in some sense. So I thought I would just read briefly uh, what, is, what is written uh, in the front of that newsletter, which was issued on July 3. Uh, Roshi Joan writes, In May, a new policy separating families at our borders took effect. Last month, we witnessed the heartbreaking reality of that decision. Our practice of bearing witness to the suffering and joys of the world reveals both the beauty of family and the pains we carry from being in a family. In this time of radical change, we have an opportunity to bear witness to what is happening in the world as well as what is happening in ourselves. And then she goes on to talk about the programs at the center, which, you know, of course we do too if you get our, our newsletters. And she writes, in this month's newsletter, oh, this wasn't, yeah, in this month's newsletter, Roshi Joan, I'm realizing that I'm not sure if Roshi, Roshi Joan wrote that first part or not. In, Roshi, in this month's newsletter, Roshi Joan asks us to not hide out, but to take action, noting that the power of compassion affects everyone and the cost of inaction is great. Petra Zenru Hubling reminds us that everything is practice. 
from bearing witness to some of the most difficult times in the world's history to sweeping the floor. Upaya resident, I might get the uh, pronunciation wrong, Hui Tran invites us to join him in nourishing his practice for a few days at Prajna Mountain Forest Refuge. So there's, there's, there's three suggestions or hints here uh, in, uh, uh, with regard to how to be with our work, with the reality of our, our lives and living together. And one is bearing witness, a term attributed to Roshi Bernie Glassman, uh, taking action, actually doing something in the world, and thirdly, uh, formal practice itself. And you'll see as I go through my own ideas that at the end I try to offer some suggestions like, what can we actually do? You know? And uh, more or less these three possibilities that are pointed out in uh, the newsletter from Opaya directly uh, reflect my own thinking, my own suggestions. So, certainly what we are feeling and contemplating as teachers and uh, for many of us as students represents the sentiments of many, many people in our communities and in the whole world, right? Many of us are asking the same questions in a sense. So, <clears throat> getting back to the, to the title, how do we respond to the world, or uh, how do we hold the world as it is? I want to try to say something about what I mean when I use that, use that kind of language. What is it, what is implied by responding or holding? For those of us who identify with the Buddhist tradition or meditation practice. So, one, how to hold the world as it is, just as it is. So let's assume, just for a moment, that we're actually not talking about change. We are, but in terms of working more subtly with how the Dharma creates change, we have to become curious about how to hold the world or to be with it as it is. So this is a certain level. So there's a Dharma teaching here that helps us understand this, and that's upekka in Pali, which is equanimity. Right? So holding or being with something as it is is pointing toward a stability of mind, a stability of mind. So even though even though we have our own suffering, even though there could be uh, complexity or violence at work or uh, that we witness in a, our administration, ours or another country's administration, um, that our mind that are, stays relatively stable. Okay? So they're, 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 the Dharma is saying that's possible, the, the Buddhist teachings are saying that's possible. So this um, mind state is what we're talking about. This mind state of upekka is an attitude of even-mindedness in the face of all experience, both pleasurable and unpleasurable, unpleasant. Okay, so that's, that's upekka. 
So there's a task, however, and I want to I want to I want to try to name that task. <coughs> to achieve equanimity when the world is in crisis without compromising our ability to notice and feel what is happening in the world. What we might think and sometimes mistake as equanimity if we are looking the other way or repressing the pain of suffering within or around us, then really we are just checking out. This is not equanimity, but avoidance. It's a lessening of consciousness rather than a heightened consciousness. So again, the task of equanimity is to, when the world is in crisis, the task rather is to achieve equanimity or to be with when the world is in crisis without compromising our ability to notice and feel what is happening in the world. So the idea of equanimity asks that we are in relationship to whatever's arising, including the difficult, to notice it and to be with it. In other words, equanimity is with awareness of what's happening. Equanimity is with awareness of what's happening. That's different than not suffering the pain of something because we're choosing not to feel it or notice it, or pay attention to it, or get involved in it. So what else is meant by holding or responding the world? Number two, how to not cause harm in the world. How to not cause... So one way to respond in a dharmic way is to not cause further harm. That alone is a significant contribution. So what is the Dharma teaching or Dharma lens by which we understand and practice this possibility? Well, one such way is the first precept, which we always take on meditation retreat, and which some students decide to take as part of the five precepts on a daily basis whether formally or informally. Formally, maybe by reciting them. Informally, by just holding them in mind, holding them in heart, and doing their best to live by them. So they become a kind of mirror where we gauge the effectiveness of our behavior, which means, does the way we act, speak, and think cause harm or not cause harm? And that's the first precept, to abstain from taking life or causing harm. So that's a practice, to abstain from taking life or causing harm. Uh, Some of you, many of you probably, who um, do yoga or study yoga texts might recognize this as ahimsa in in Sanskrit, ahimsa, harmlessness. This is the first of five yamas. And then a third way to think about um, holding or being with. And that is how to reduce 
and where possible alleviate the suffering and harm that has already been done. So there's being with, there's not causing harm, and there's reducing or eliminating or alleviating harm that has already been done. Okay? In the Buddhist teachings, this is cessation, nirodha, the elimination or alleviation of suffering. Both uh, nirodha, or cessation of suffering, and equanimity are two of the highest goals of Buddhist practice. So I want to say a little bit more about these incidents, and all these, these three incidents that I gave at the beginning, and also uh, suggest some teachings that can help us uh, look, at, look at them. Okay. So the first incident was that of the elder lineage holder of the International Buddhist Sangha um, allegedly having relationships with it sounds like many, many people in the, in the Sangha. And um, that teacher himself wrote a letter to the whole community, which I was able to read and many of you may have read it. It's, it's public and it was cut and paste and put in you know, some of the Buddhist magazines and online and so forth. And, you know, I'm just going to say my view, which is that teacher basically came out and said, I just want you all to know that I've had sex with a whole bunch of students in the community. Just thought you'd like to know. You know, that was the basic tenor of the letter. And at the end, he said, I know that this creates confusion and harm. Uh, I'm going to take some time to think about my actions. So in, in, in my view, a dismissive uh, letter, he was, uh, you know, felt called to or was forced to write an acknowledgement. But I heard it as an acknowledgement that, that relationships occurred and that the acknowledgement ended with that. Okay. There really was nothing more than that. So I see this kind of behavior as a dismissive response to sexual misconduct and abuse of power, okay? So for me, and I think for many of you, because we've had conversations uh, around this topic together recently, this incident serves as a reminder, I think, of how a long history of patriarchal views embedded within social systems and communities allow for systemic cover-ups, normalizing harmful behavior because that's how it's been done for generations. Because anything has been done for generations doesn't mean it's okay to do it now or in future generations. A question for many of us is, how does a high teacher miss that point? So what is the Dharma teaching, or what I might even call at this point now a Dharma intervention? Like, what is the Dharma intervention? What is the Dharma teaching where we begin to hold or grapple or think about or contemplate these complex issues? 
Does the, does the Buddhist tradition offer something for or against these behaviors? Specifically, rather than generally, like don't cause harm. That's the general teaching. So again, if we look at a different precept, we have the precept to not cause harm through sexual misconduct. I undertake the precept to abstain from sexual misconduct would be a translation in English of the Pali precept. There's a different version that says, I abstain from all sexual activity, which we usually take temporarily for a short period of time when we're on retreat to acknowledge that we're going to explore feelings, desires, energies within the body. And we're going to be in relationship with other bodies in the community in a non-sexual way. Or we're not going to express through touch and contact our sexuality. And then there's the, for any of us who wants to take it as a practice, simply the practice of not causing harm through sexual misconduct. This doesn't say don't have relationships. It doesn't define the the form or type of relationship. It doesn't get into our own philosophy or... I'll just leave it at that. But it makes a bold statement to bring conscious awareness and kindness to to all relationships, and in this case those that involve... Expressing our sexuality, being with another person in a physical way, don't cause harm. So incident number two, um, children lost in some cases are separated from, from family, adult caregivers, those figures in our lives that are largely responsible for a basic sense of uh, trust safety and secure attachment, without which uh, we grow up as individuals to have what uh, the clinical community calls insecure attachment uh, habits or patterns. Relationships uh, without early uh, trust, safety, and security uh, become difficult for us, and we we don't often understand why. How can we understand or explain uh, the logic or activity or action that went into uh, a decision or policy that resulted in so much fragmentation of family, safety, trust, and well-being for uh, people at uh, perhaps the most impressionable uh, time in, in their life? So one possible way of of thinking about this through the lens of Dharma is that there has been a great, that there's been great evidence of greed, lobha, lobha in Pali, hatred, dosa in Pali, and delusion, moha. 
Such policy actions result from a lack of care for others. Prejudice and racial discrimination, personal and institutional entitlement, and narrow problem solving that fails to look deeply at complex issues. This can be overcome, possibly, through the development of insight or understanding that leads to three mind states that oppose directly greed, hatred, and delusion. Those three mind states are wisdom, generosity, and kindness. Wisdom in Pali, Panya. Seeing clearly what is happening, why it is happening, and how to solve it. Number two, generosity, dana in Pali. Willingness to help others and to go out of our own way for others. Generosity is the willingness to make a self-sacrifice. And number three, kindness, metta in Pali. A sincere desire for others' well-being. Ultimately, to do that requires some seeing of the interdependence of all life. Ultimately, for us to live in, lo- in safe, local and global partnerships with each other, all leadership will need to think and act in ways that are informed by laws of interdependence. When one group of people suffer, we all suffer, because the very nature of suffering itself, the truth of suffering, is that suffering breeds mind states that are prone to actions that perpetuate the cycle of ignorance, illusion, and suffering. So if we don't break that conditioning, the cycle of suffering continues personally, communally, socially, culturally, globally. Roshi Joan Halifax says, when compassion is absent, all suffer including those who withhold it. Incident number three, how can we uh, look at this a little bit more closely through a, a Buddhist lens? What I call strange occurrences of white people calling the police on people of color. These types of actions stem from culturally inherited views and beliefs. It is the responsibility, I'll stop here and just say that, that these are my views. I take full responsibility for some of the positions that I'm taking and I'm trying to map a teaching against a societal issue um, my elaboration is my own, uh, my own reflection. 
It is the responsibility of any individual interested in social justice to understand their own social location, its biases, and how those biases can discriminate and often do discriminate in action. Now, I don't expect everyone sitting in a fast food restaurant or a coffee shop I don't expect this of everyone sitting in a fast food restaurant or a coffee shop, nor given the long history of Buddhism, both in Asia and the West, do I expect this of all people who identify with Buddhist practice. However, if modern day Buddhism is to someday fulfill its own potential and alleviate the suffering of all beings or play a role in the alleviation of suffering for all beings. This task is essential. It's not an optional task. What is the Dharma teaching or intervention, the Dharma intervention here? Well, I think one of many is, is, is simply mindfulness itself. Mindfulness is non-reactive. <coughs> Mindfulness is non-reactive and draws upon curiosity. The investigative element of mindfulness asks the questions, one, what is really going on here? Two, do I have a view that plays into my perception? And three, is my view right? And is my perception likely to be the cause of kindness or anger, ignorance or wisdom? So, now, 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 sort of going back out wide angle view again, right? So we started there, sort of went more narrow, and now expanding more widely again. How can we understand these incidents that I choose to speak about tonight as matters pertaining to Buddhist practice? Because the truth is, um, they are not for everybody. How can we understand these as matters pertaining to practice, to the ongoing development of Buddhist culture and etiquette, into our own personal well-being and sanity? So talk about this in two ways. First, if we are aware of and connected to the suffering evidenced in these kinds of situations and many others, and if we don't have the capacity for equanimity and engagement, we will suffer. Confusion, anger, shame, stemming from these social realities can and likely will affect our own heart and mind, and will continue to interfere with well-being across lines of race, class, gender, and sexual orientation. Two, if we are not aware of 
in disconnected from the suffering evidenced in these kinds of situations, <coughs> we can assume some avoidance, which is an inability to be with the pain of others or a disinterest in being with the pain of others, or delusion. The belief that what happens to others does not directly affect us. We see the world, in this case, in a small way, marked by isolation and indifference, rather than interconnection and caring. In this case, our actions are more prone to be unskillful in the future. Ultimately, what is called for is a culture of care that is communal and in which no one is left out of that community. We need an attitude, we need an attitude of overarching care for each other. Right now, this is what I advocate for, I think, more than anything. We have to become genuinely interested in others' well-being. So, each of us, in our own way, need to uproot greed, hatred and delusion within ourselves. This idea is at the heart of all Buddhist practice in many other religious or spiritual traditions. This idea of care is similar to another way of thinking about the idea of non-harm as an expression of universal benevolence in which all beings are approached with friendliness and kindness. Lastly, what are three specific ways that we can approach this? What are three strategies, if you will, for action or engagement? And I alluded to them in the reading of the, the short uh, newsletter introduction from Upaya Zen Center. Number one, make social justice inseparable from Dharma practice. Examine our social location and the implication of the worldview that we inherit from that social location along with our life experience. And there's a paradox here which most of us understand. The more opportunities one's social location has granted them, the less inclined one is to see the value of studying the effect of social location. While people on the downside of social inequity have learned to do this out of need, people on the upside of social inequity will need to learn how to do this if they want to contribute in a meaningful way to a more just world. Number two, direct service which I like to think of, a, of as generosity or kindness in action. That's doing something. Whatever, and I don't want to prescribe what that is, but just the prescription is action itself, engagement in some way. The Dalai Lama said in a speech 
in India in January of 2001. Compassion is the core of Dharma. And selfless service is the way to practice Dharma in your daily life. When you embrace all and exclude none, love all and hate none, selfless service becomes a natural part of your life. So we do something off the cushion. And number three, what is a third possible way of engaging or acting? Sobhana in Pali, the cultivation of beautiful mental states. Sobhana, the cultivation of beautiful mental states. So this is practice itself. This is formal practice. Very different than engagement. I have a... Um, well, I was going to tell a story, but I, the talk is being recorded, so I won't tell this story. But, um, action takes a particular kind of risk. Without giving you the details, I have a, uh, a student who was arrested over the weekend um, doing activist work here in, in Boston. Uh, that's a particular way of getting engaged in, in a cause. Right? Didn't choose to get arrested, that was... Um, but in a sense, went in knowing it might happen and that even that that process would be a way to send a message. Right? Very bold, very, very courageous. Uh, very Dharma-informed, in fact, as I uh, went through that, in a sense, with her, right? Very different than sitting on your meditation cushion, right? Both important. The teachings refer to uh, 25 beautiful mental states that we can cultivate through our practice, and as I close and listing them for you, I won't list all of them, but I'll, I'll list some of them. Uh, I trust that you'll see that the prevalence of these beautiful mental states uh, would have a significant impact on ourselves, our communities, our families, um, and the world around us. So here's a few. Uh, confidence. Mindfulness itself. In the Pali, hiri, hiri, and otapa, both having to do with cultivating a mind that is inhospitable to evil or any factor that underlies harm. Non-attachment, goodwill, adosa, synonymous with metta, loving-kindness, equanimity, which we spoke about, right speech, right action and right livelihood. Speech, action, and livelihood that is in harmony <laughs> with the laws of nature. And when we act in harmony with the laws of nature, we don't cause further suffering. Compassion, sympathetic joy, and wisdom. Sympathetic joy is uh, wanting and appreciating when others are well. And I'll leave you with a 
short passage from the from the suttas, the uh, collection of teach teachings attributed to the Buddha. And what is this noble method that is rightly seen, rightly ferreted out by discernment? There is the case where a practitioner, a meditator, of the awakened ones notices. When this is, that is. From the arising of this comes the arising of that. When this isn't, that isn't. From the cessation of this comes the cessation of that. <clears throat> 